0: If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be getting into the Christmas story a little bit this morning, but I got to say, I I really do love this time of year. I mean, I love the food. I love the smells. I love the family. I love the parties. It's just, I love this Christmas time of year, and it always brings back just unbelievable, beautiful memories, and I'm sure you have memories, too, that just kind of like just play like Christmas lights in your head. My grandfather, who many of you have heard the story, that he was just this leather-skinned outdoorsman. I think the only thing he owned was flannel and corduroy and a pair of boots. And he was a game warden all his life, and he worked on a farm. And every Christmas, we'd all go to his farmhouse, and all the cousins would be sleeping in sleeping bags in his little bitty house of about a 1,000 square feet, and we were in the kitchen and the living room and all over the place, and we would all stay in the sleeping bag until we heard the gunfire. I know, it's crazy, isn't it, that whenever I hear guns go off, I have Christmas memories. (laughs) Because my grandfather would come running through the house shooting his pistol, which was a blank gun because he trained dogs, and he would run through with a handful of cotton in one hand and his pistol in the other, screaming, somebody tried to break into the house and steal all our Christmas presents, but I think I got him. <laughs> I know. I mean, I can remember a junior high looking at my brother and say, don't move till you hear the gun go off. <laughs> it's such a sweet time uh, for many of us. It's hard sometimes to remember that this is our Advent season as a church, and this word Advent is actually this latin word that talks about the coming and it refers to the fact that christ came but he's also coming again and we his people are a people of waiting and this for us is not just a season of sweet memories this is a season where we pause and we become hypersensitive to those parts of our hearts and our lives that are in waiting for the one who is coming to make all things right see this is the season where we take a deep breath and we we tell our hope it needs to get in line. This is the season where we say to our hope, if your hope this holiday season is that all your expectations are going to be bad. First of all, let me just tell you, you're going to have a miserable Christmas because it ain't going to happen. But some of you are prisoners of other people's expectations and your hope is that you're going to live up to all their expectations, not just your own. And this is a season where we take a deep breath and we know those are chains, those are prisons. That's a weak place to put your hope. Some of you are hoping that this will be the season that those hard relationships won't be so hard. And we take a deep breath in those Advent seasons and go, that's a bad place to put my hope. Or that loss and pain won't feel as bad as loss and pain feel in this holiday season. And we pause during the Advent season and we know he's coming. And so we wait in the groan of the reality that that's a bad place to put my hope. So we've been studying the women of Advent, and we got this out of Matthew chapter one. Matthew begins his Gospels by talking about the family tree of Jesus. He wants us to know this long lineage that Jesus had before he was born. And in this lineage, in this genealogy, there are women, and we've been studying the women in this tree of Jesus from Tamar, who was a woman who, who was abused and faced incredible injustice. But in the face of injustice, she stood up for herself and believed in God. To Rahab, who was a prostitute and had this sordid past, and yet with her sordid past, she actually believed that there was a God who was greater than all the things that she had done wrong in her life. And then there was Ruth, who we talked about last week, who lived this life that her life wasn't turning out like she wanted it to, and her life was marred by grief. And yet she chose in the midst of that grief to believe in God, that God brings beauty in the midst of sorrow. This is God's story. Like, this is how he chose to tell the coming of his son, Jesus. His great-great-grandmother was Tamar. His great-great-great-grandmother was a prostitute. His great-great-grandmother was Ruth. And now we come to our final story, the final woman in this genealogy, and it's the story of Mary. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. You guys with me this morning? I got a cold, so I I need your help, all right? So if if I actually pass out up here, Brian's going to come up and finish the sermon. My notes are right here, all right? Got it, all right. Matter of fact, that might be just fun just for me to sit down right now, would you? Okay, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Y'all think I'm joking, I think that would be hilarious. I think he could do it. You've heard of Mary before, right? You got it. All right. Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, but she was a much older relative. Some people believe she may have been in her 70s, and Elizabeth found herself pregnant. And when I say that, I mean she was surprised. And her husband was so surprised that God shut his mouth because he said, I know you're God, but I don't believe you. That's another story, all right? But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled than the angel left her. Let's pray. So, Father, um, as we come into this Christmas season, Lord, um, we pray that you would meet us here this morning, in this moment that we've set aside to pause and to be still and to hear your word and to be open to the work of your spirit through worship and through fellowship. And we pray right now, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and breathe on... uh, this cold ver- sermon this cold infested pastor and give life in this room it's in christ's name we pray amen so i think it's fair for us to say that uh that this is such a pretty picture here but if you know anything about the story of mary you know that it's no pretty picture at all this is not like the postcard. That you get in the mail or the tranquil scene that you see at the manger this is really it's setting us up for a oh no like a real like oh no i'm not sure how this is going to turn out but this is not looking good so i remember the first time i went to go see the chicago cubs play at wrigley field anybody been there oh wow the rest of you your lives are cheap if you've not been to Wrigley Field, uh, you, may not, you don't even have to be a Cubs fan to be a Cubs fan, all right? Let's just admit that. Well, we're leaving the stadium on a great day, and buddy who'd been there before, he said, come on, I want to show you something. I said, where are we going? We went two blocks down from the main entrance to Wrigley's Fields, and there's a bar there called Sluggers. Has anybody been there? Okay, a few of you. All right, and the numbers are getting less and less. We're a small fraternity. The cool thing about sluggers, well, okay, maybe it's not cool, but in the back of sluggers is a batting cage. Now, at sluggers, it's a bar. They serve alcohol. And in the back of this bar, there's a batting cage. And on that batting cage, he says, you're not going to believe this. And we go up, and he put money in the machine, and then he stepped out of the cage, and he said, just watch. I said, what are you doing? The ball's about to be pitched. Nobody's batting. And he goes, you don't want to be in there because I set the dial to 100 Now, if you've never seen somebody throw a ball 100 miles an hour, or if you can't throw a ball at 100 miles an hour, it's hard for you to imagine how fast that is until you're in the dark back part of a bar called Sluggers. (laughs) You don't even see the ball. You just hear the machine, and then you hear it slap the back of the pad, boom. It's that fast. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. He goes, yeah, that's how fast some of these guys are throwing the ball. And we were ready to leave. I was content my experience was complete until a bunch of buddies who had been drinking a lot came stumbling up and wanted to know what we were doing. And then this one guy who had been drinking quite a bit turned to his buddies and goes, I can hit it at 100. (laughs) Trust me, we weren't gonna go anywhere. (laughs) But it was a, oh, Lord, you know, have 911 on speed dial. Somebody's about to die. I'm not going to tell you what happened. <laughs> he does live to this day, I assume. But this is kind I want to get your mindset because this is kind of that kind of a situation. We've heard this story so many times that we're kind of numb to the reality that Mary was a little girl. Some historians believe that she could have been 12 years old, maybe 14 at the most, that she was from a small town, she was probably uneducated, she was uncultured, she was poor. This is a woman, a woman in a society that did not value women. She was unimportant, she was not powerful, she had no status. In other words, she was at the bottom of the food chain. And this is the person that God decided was going to bear Jesus, the man who is God, the second member of the Trinity. I mean, just imagine she going home to her family, or maybe she was home when she got this vision, and she tells her mom, Mom, I'm pregnant. Do you know the cultural ramifications? of a young girl who has pledged to be married to a man telling her family, I am pregnant, and then adding this, by God. (laughs) We just hear that and we go, oh, her parents were super spiritual. They were people like us. (laughs) So I'm just using my sanctified imagination right now, but I'm guessing it didn't go well. Because the next thing we know is Mary's cutting off to go spend three months with her relative, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant at an old age by the will of God. Can you imagine? Uh, That's a great story. We've preached through it here before, the power of encouragement and fellowship in the midst of struggles. But Elizabeth greets Mary, and she's so excited, and they become a comfort for one another, and they need each other. They need each other because Elizabeth's about to give birth to John the Baptist. And Mary is about to give birth to Jesus. But also, a lot of stuff is going on right now. For example, Mary was pledged to, be jo- to Joseph to be married. Now, let me explain to you culturally what that means is that Mary was married. She was married because the two families had come together and the two families had agreed that this is a good match. Joseph, Mary, those two names together, that just sounds right. All right, and that they had agreed, and he, what they did in that culture was once they agreed, then Joseph would have gone home to build a place for his wife. He would have gone to make a place, an extension onto his his father's house, perhaps, and because they all lived together, and he would go home, and within six months, maybe a year, he would gather all his groomsmen together, and they would light torches and they would march down the streets for him to claim his bride, and so they would. So Mary in that culture would have packed her suitcase, so to speak, and would have kept her suitcase packed, always ready, always looking down the street for her groom who is coming. Jesus loves to play on that image from that culture. But that was the state that Mary and Joseph were in. They were already married. They just weren't living together. They weren't together yet. But when Joseph went and got her, he'd bring her back. They would carry her down to his father's house, and then they would throw a party that may last for a whole week And that would begin their journey of living together. But the moment that the two families agreed, he is hers and hers are his, they are married. And Mary knew this. And Mary knew that Joseph had a decision to make. That Joseph could have dragged Mary out into the middle of the square of their small town and accused her of adultery. And maybe even have gotten stoned. But because he was a good man and he was a kind man, scripture tells us that Joseph decided that he's just going to quietly divorce her because they were already married and put her away. So you can imagine what Elizabeth and Mary are talking about over those three months. What's Joseph going to do? What's he going to do? And you can imagine what Joseph's family were saying to him about what he should do. I'm sure Joseph's mother had an opinion about this. (laughs) I'm just guessing. And the reason I'm guessing is because when Joseph was visited by the Lord and the Lord said to Joseph, let me tell you what's up and let me tell you what you're going to do. And he had to go home and tell his mama that. I would have loved to have been there for that conversation. What? You're doing what now? Yeah, mom, I'm going to go ahead and take her as my wife. What? What? I don't get this. Do you know how humiliating this is going to be? Nobody in this town believes that she's pregnant by God. Nobody. That's never happened before. Somebody in this town got Mary pregnant. Somebody. And you're willing to take that on, that reputation, that story? This is going to mar you for the rest of your life. And this young man named Joseph, who probably was no more than 15 himself, stepped right into the middle of his family dynamics and stood up to his mother and his father, and he said, this is what I'm doing. I mean, we're just talking real here, right? This is a Christmas story. So they travel solo, and you can only imagine why Joseph and Mary are traveling solo to Bethlehem to file for the census. And in that that little town of Bethlehem, Mary, without her mother, without her friends, without her community, goes into labor. A lot of cool stories about this whole idea of Jesus being born in a manger. More than likely, um, homes in that day, like they would bring their livestock into their home at night, and so a part of the living room was like a manger. It was like a barn that was attached to the house. A lot of historians believe that Jesus was probably born in somebody's living room that was attached to a manger, because the reality of a community of women in a town like Bethlehem allowing a young girl to go into labor by herself probably would have been unheard of. It would have been a shame for the city. But however it was, it wasn't ideal. So Mary and Joseph and now their new child Jesus traveled to Jerusalem for the purification ceremonies and the rites of the temple And if it's not bad enough yet, they bump into a guy named Simeon, and Simeon has spent his whole life telling everybody at the temple that God has promised me that I'm going to see the coming Messiah before I die. Now, have you ever met somebody who said that God spoke to them and God was going to show them the Messiah before they died? This whole story is full of people that people go, I don't know if I believe that or not. Simeon, dude, he's here all the time. And all he talks about is the consolation of Israel. If I have to hear that one more time from Simeon, I think I'm going to lose my mind. But every day he's searching, are you the one? Are you the one? Kind of this crazed guy at the temple. Let's just be real. This is not the kind of stuff that you normally see and Simeon spots Mary and Joseph and begins to shout and goes there he is there he is there he is i can die now oh wait a minute listen to what he said to Mary he he starts saying to the world this is the messiah everybody this is what god promised me and now i'm done i'm done this is what i've been waiting my whole life for it's god you can take me now And then he kind of leans over, and you can imagine him kind of whispering this into Mary's ear. Hey, Mary, I got a word for you from God. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. He's to be a sign that will be spoken against, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Mary's eyes are getting bigger. And then he says these words to her, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Got to go. <laughs> a, so- a sword will pierce my own soul, too. What are you talking about? And that's what the whole story begins to be about Mary. Because that night, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream. And he said one word, run, run. Run. Herod is on the move, and he's coming after you guys. Get up right now in the middle of the night. Get your wife and your new baby, and y'all run. And they took off to Egypt. I'm sure that wasn't an easy journey. Then they heard Herod died, and they leave Egypt, and they come back to settle and realize that Herod's brother's around, and he's not a good dude either. But they finally settle in Nazareth. Now, we know about Nazareth because that's where Mary's from. And what does everybody in Mary's town think about Mary? Oh, she's that girl that got pregnant, and Joseph was nice to her, but she's a little crazy because she said she's pregnant by God. So, why would God tell the story this way? I mean, let's just ask, why, why not make it easy for Mary and Joseph? I mean, come on, it's like they've got enough to bear already. Why not Why not make this a lot smoother route for these Jews? Why is it so difficult? Why is the story so like, oh, that must have been so hard? Maybe there are clues here that there's something that tells us about God and about ourselves. And maybe, just maybe, it was telling us that Jesus didn't come to make our lives easy. Maybe, just maybe, it's telling us that Jesus didn't come just to make things better and to make your life smoother or my life smoother Maybe Jesus didn't come just to do those things. Maybe he came to make things new, not better. Maybe Jesus said, I'm not here to fluff up the pillows in your prison cell. I'm here to kick the door off your prison cell and ask you to come with me because now we're going to go live and we're going to live life to the full. But life to the full always has a price to it, always, that if you're going to walk out of your prison cell, this little world that you control, this little world where everything's just right for you, this little world where nothing can possibly go wrong, this little world where you're not going to risk anything, this little world where you're not going to dare anything, if you're going to leave that room, if you're going to go out into the wide open spaces, be prepared. Do you know I love this quote by C.S. Lewis because uh, the life that we're being called to is a life of love, and a life of love is a dangerous life. Because the only way that I can love fully is to be vulnerable enough to be loved fully. And if you don't think that that's a dangerous proposition, it may be because you've never done those things before. C.S. Lewis says that to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, because to love is to be vulnerable. And the very root of the word vulnerable in Latin means wound. To be vulnerable is to feel pain. And to live life to the full is the willingness to go out and not just love, but to be loved. So I've also wondered, why didn't God just give Mary a little heads up? I mean, come on, the angel was there. The angel could have said, hey, Mary, let me tell you, there's going to be a couple of things. Like, you're going to be living in Egypt for a while, and I want to tell you what neighborhood to go to. You're going to get the best deal on an apartment in this place. Like, that would have been kind of nice. It would have been kind of nice if he would have said, hey, and Joseph, I know you're freaking out right now and you're going to run off to Elizabeth, but Joseph's going to come too. Don't worry, I'm going to go visit him. Why didn't she just say that? Why did she throw her into three months of worried about whether or not she was going to get dragged to the public square? I mean, honestly. So some of you don't remember this, but um, when I was growing up, we didn't have Google Maps. Um <laughs> I, There are people here that have never lived your life without a cell phone that can tell you how to get to an address. But let me tell you, old school, how it used to work. Um, If you had to go pick somebody up, like, you know, hey, we'll come by and get you this Friday night, then tell me where you live. They wouldn't give you an address because that doesn't mean anything. Like, you can't see addresses at night anyway. And so what they would say is, okay, you're going to be going down Jackson Street, and you're going to pass four mailboxes. And you're like, okay, four mailboxes. And the, the fourth one is going to be pink, and you're going to take a right there. Okay, pink, take a right. Then you're going to go down this country road, and t- you're going to see a barn with no doors. Okay, barn with no doors? Well, the back doors are there, but the front doors, they are there, but they're kind of off the hand. Okay, b- are they there or not there? They're, well, sort of. Okay, sort of, no doors. And it goes on and on and on, and you're driving in the dark, and you're like, what's next? What's next? And inevitably, you got something wrong, and you get there, and you have to ask somebody. You're knocking on strangers' doors. Hey, I'm not here to kill you. I just was wondering if you could tell me where Bert lives. <laughs> I, uh, who? But here's the crazy thing. If the person giving you directions goes, oh, just forget it. I'll go with you. You know what you do with your directions? <laughs> Because you are the direction. Like, I got you in the car with me. I don't need to write anything down. You know where we're going, and I'm satisfied with the fact that you're in the car, and you know. And is it possible that's what God is saying to us? Is it possible that God says, it's not the directions that I want you to have. It's me I want you to have. It's me. In fact, when Jesus came He exploded something the world had never seen before. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling there actually is the word tabernacle that he tabernacled with us. And what the writer of John is saying is there was a time when God dwelt in the temple, in the holy of holies. There was a time where the smoke descended down on the, on the whole temple, and we knew if we wanted to go meet with God, that's where we went. And John is saying, God is now loosed. He no longer dwells up there. He dwells here. See, Something happened in Genesis chapter 1. God spoke and man was created. <clears throat> and yet, we have this unbelievable story that when man took his first breath, it's because God had breathed into man. Now, imagine this for a minute that, like, imagine I ask you to say Merry Christmas to the people around you. What if I said, Would you turn to somebody and breathe into their mouth now? would y'all be okay with that Uh, some of you in the back you know you're single you're like yes (laughs) there is a god Uh, some of you are going oh lord i'm sorry okay that was a bad joke all right but you get the sense that it's pretty intimate i mean it's like okay i okay did you you have eggs for breakfast like what that's intimate That's face to face, that's in your face. Imagine this: that when man opened his eyes, what was the first thing he saw? It was his father, right there. It's almost like he's representing physically these words: "You are highly favored, and I, will, I am with you." And is it possible that all of history? has been God's design to get us back to that place. Because man sinned, and when man sinned, he threw us out of the garden. There was a separation between us and God because of our brokenness that we brought in, not only into our own lives, but also in the world, and all the world was under a curse. And in that very moment when the Lord is ushering us out of the garden because righteousness could not deal with unrighteousness and could not live with unrighteousness, he didn't curse us as much as he gave us a promise. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He turns to the serpent and he says, Curse are you above all the livestock, all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And then he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And then he says something odd. He will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. What is he talking about there? that there is one coming through all of history, through Tamar, through Rahab, through Ruth, through Mary. There is one that is coming that will crush the head of Satan. And right there in the creation story at the very beginning, God says, let me reveal to you my plan. My plan of redemption, my plan to restore My plan, and get this, to return you face to face. Hmm. See, when Jesus came, he didn't stay in the manger. He actually went to the cross. And when he came down from the cross, he went to the grave. But he didn't stay in the grave. He actually rose again. He didn't come just to take away my sins. He came to give me life. And life is not the life I'm living as much as life is who I'm living it with. In Colossians 1, 27, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ has restored us face to face. In Galatians two twenty, it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The dwelling place of God, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hmm. So this morning and this Christmas, we don't just celebrate that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago and we remember it. We also realize because he came 2,000 years ago, he's with me today. So let me close with this. This is, um, you may not know this, but Mary became a songwriter. And uh, she lived down on 12th Avenue. It's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> no, she, she wrote a song and her Magnificat. And she says at the beginning of this song that she wrote, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, remember, this is a woman who is suffering social rejection. Do you know that even at the crucifixion, Jesus looked down to Mary and then he looked to his disciple John and he said, John, your mother... Mary, your son. What was he saying at that moment? John, I'm, a, I'm dying now. I need you to take care of her as a son takes care of her mother. Why? Why? Jesus had brothers. Oh, now you're getting to see the, under, the underbelly. And where's Joseph. So now Mary, even as she's being pierced through with a sword because her own son is dying on the cross, has lost her husband, she's a widow, and her own sons won't take care of her because they probably think she's crazy for believing that guy on the cross is actually the son of the living God. It wasn't until after the resurrection that some of those boys' eyes got open. And yet in the middle of this sorrow, in the middle of this pain, in this middle of social rejection, in this middle of, I don't know what's going to happen next. All I know is I'm favored by God. It doesn't feel like favor. And I know that he's not going to leave me. He's with me. She writes, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to, okay? Join Mary. If Jesus is yours and you belong to Jesus and he is restored face to face with your father, um, then I want you to add something to your Christmas celebration. Ask you to discipline yourself. Have you ever had a sugar cookie? Like, and they're all over the place right now, right? This is kind of their season, isn't it? <clears throat> sugar cookie. I mean, the rest of the year, they're kind of, I don't know, but Christmas time. And I don't know about you, but I don't like sugar cookies. I, I don't like sugar cookies. What I like is icing. I like icing <laughs> that covers up. It's like chocolate ice cream on kale. It just works, you know? Trust me. <laughs> But here's the funny thing about these sugar cookies: when you slather them with icing and sprinklings, the sprinklers they become amazing. And I want to ask you to 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 slather something onto your season right now, because there's not a person in this room that you're not walking at a Christmas season with some kind of issue. I don't know whether it's your personal issue and you're struggling internally with you, or whether you're struggling with somebody else, or you're planning on struggling with somebody over Christmas or you feel sad, or this season doesn't bring joy to you, it brings sorrow, or maybe this is an unprecedented celebration of joy, that all these things, that what you would smear on them is the icing of celebration. That's what Mary did. In the midst of her isolation from her family and holding up with Elizabeth, she said these words, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he's been mindful of me. That in the midst of your uncertainty, would you tell yourself in celebration, I have found favor with my Father, and I celebrate that he is with me. That in the midst of your doubts, would you put on celebration that he favors me and he is with me. In the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your joys, even, that you would put on the icing of celebration that, Lord, I celebrate you like Mary. Because what celebration does is it opens my eyes to see we are favored and he is with us during this Christmas season. Because when we celebrate and we see that, we become a dangerous group of people. Because the world is yet to see a community that's willing to be real and vulnerable and celebrate in the midst of that story. So here we go. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that your Christmas story, that you don't hide behind beautiful words, you don't hide behind false narratives that you don't pretend that everything is better than it really is, but right in the midst of the brokenness of humanity, Jesus, you were born, and in the midst of the nitty-gritty of family relationships and what people think about us in our community and being labeled something that's not true and having to live with the reputation of that your whole life, to be misunderstood and to be forgotten and be the person that's never invited to the parties because you're that person. That's the world, Jesus, that you were born into. And I thank you that you didn't come to make everything good for Mary. You came to make everything new for Mary. And you came to make everything new for us too. That we, this Christmas season, would be able to know that you have restored back to us the intimacy of face-to-face with our Father. And that we can breathe in the breath of the one who has made us. And we can celebrate. Celebrate in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our vulnerability, in the midst of our joys, we celebrate that our Jesus has come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.